Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material, Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Flash movie is real-life Lobo cosplayer, returning guest, Justin DeVoe, welcome, baby. Dude, I wish you would have seen Anthony's eyes when he said the Flash movie. Like, they got really big. Um, he, said, he sent me a, a message, like, a couple days ago, and um, it was followed by an anger emoji. And that's the angriest I've ever seen Anthony. So when he said, like, oh, I got stuff to talk about, he said he was coming in hot. So I was really excited, man. Um, dude, I was so for, – for, for, for a week, I've been, like, itching – to do this because I wanted to know what the problem is. Cause I sent you kind of my thing. Um, so why don't you start? Cause I feel like you need to start. <laughs> I feel like you need to start. I am coming in hot, not as hot as a baby in a microwave. Mind you, <laughs> <sighs> Jesus Christ, this movie. Okay. I have been chomping at the bit to record and <laughs> let's go. No, 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 no. It badly CGI. Listen, the next time anyone from the DC camp fandom wants to say something about Marvel CGI, we're going to just talk about the entire first part of that movie. It didn't look finished. It was so bad. And yeah, the microwave thing. And I was like, and then there was a burrito in there at some point. And I was like, wow, like someone green lit this. Like they, they let that happen. CGI and everything. All right. So let's get a couple of disclaimers out of the way first for our audience here. We'll set the table for a moment. Number one, we will be discussing spoilers. It feels like almost everyone saw this movie via an advanced screening of some sort. Clearly not as many people saw it over opening weekend, which we'll also talk about. But if for some reason you haven't seen it and you plan to see it and you don't want to be spoiled, maybe just save this episode for down the line. We will will be discussing spoilers. So that's number one. Number two... DeVoe here is known for letting those F-bombs fly, but we talked beforehand. He said he's going to follow school rules, so I think we might be able to forego the explicit tag. I don't know if people welcome that or not. They might want to hear some of that in this episode. (laughs) I don't know, but if you're listening to this in mixed company, like if you've got your kid in the car with you or something, you should be okay with this one. (laughs) I will be good. I'll be good, I promise. 
there's, there's probably more disclaimers. Actually, it's yeah, weird go ahead. You, um, it's weird that you mentioned that because uh, that's from Fat Moose. Is like, yeah, I saw it two weeks ago. I was like, I'm sorry, you what now? He saw it two weeks ago. Um, he got some advanced ticket from AMC. Um, there was no opening credits. There was no closing credits. There was no nothing. It was kind of like a trial run for the flick. And he said that a dude pulled out a camera midway through and all up and down all the aisles were like WB black ties. And they said they snatched this dude up and arrested him. I was like, dude, why can't you just go enjoy the movie? Like, why do you have to do that? Like, what are you getting out of that? Like a couple of likes? Like, I don't understand. But everyone else, I saw it. So, oh, I saw it two weeks ago. I saw it last week. A friend of mine, um, Jennings, he's a, a, um, a, I mean, like a TikTok influencer. So he saw it like a month and a half ago. So like all these people have already seen it. I didn't know what it did during opening weekend. You just gave me some new information. Uh, yeah, but it did seem like everyone saw it way earlier than <laughs> way way earlier than anybody else. Yes, it did fifty five point one million, I believe, for its opening weekend, which came in under projections. At at one point, it had been projected to be somewhere in the seventies, I believe. It came in lower than Black Adam of all movies, believe it or not. Wow! But the last disclaimer that I want to say before I lay waste to this movie for the next hour, hour and a half <laughs> is. Because look, I think that it is important to always recognize and appreciate different perspectives. And so I do right. want to say, for anyone who enjoyed this movie, right on. That's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I mean that sincerely. I actually took my dad. We went over the weekend. So we're recording this the oh, day. That's awesome. We're recording this the day after Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you and to all the dads out there. And I took my dad over the weekend. It was our Father's Day outing. He had a great time. He thought Ezra Miller was hilarious. The twist quote-unquote twist at the end when batman shows up he thought was so funny the post-credits tag with arthur he was laughing he had a great time and i have heard from you know we'll talk about that insane absurd in my opinion pre-release hype with this movie but even since the movie has come out there's been a range of reactions and i've heard from people who have been guests on the show or who are audience members of the show you mentioned fat moose comics our buddy sal scalisi he posted, yeah. he was like, I love this movie. And he posted separately yeah. his own little review and he gave it like an 8.9 out of 10. I, I, I don't share that at all. However, that's great. And I, it's funny because I wrote to him, I was like, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And whenever I say that, whether on social media or on the show, but especially on social media where I'm just typing it, I'm always like, I hope I don't sound like I'm being sarcastic. I mean it sincerely. Like I'm glad that people right. enjoyed it. And I'll also say this, while I didn't, I, I can't understand how people might enjoy it or at least might have a good time. Like I'll get one other example, Bernie Gerstmeyer, who's been on the show a bunch of times. I'm not Love saying Bernie. this is the only reason he enjoyed it. He and I haven't had a full conversation about it. I think he enjoyed it generally, but he also shared in his post, you know, he went with his daughters to see it, right? And right. I, I have to imagine that just that experience of being there with his girls and watching this mm. movie and sharing that experience, it just colors everything. So right. while... Yes, I am going to be sort of on the other side of that uh, in this episode here. If you enjoyed it, that's great. I'm not trying to take away from your enjoyment. But I do think, look, we always have to share our opinions, be honest. That's what we do. And this is coming from a place of passion. And this, unlike a lot of the things we talk about where it's stuff that's been out for a long time and things have settled a bit, this is very fresh and a little raw. And I do think that both the studio and the filmmakers need to be taken to task a little bit for some of the choices made here. So- that's it as far as my uh, disclaimers go, but I'm very excited to get into this. So, so, so my disclaimer, and I will do it um, um, uh, as PG as possible. 
back when you were like, uh, like, you know, you're a young boy, 14, 15, and you managed to stumble upon your parents' porn collection, right? Don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. And you pop in like a VHS and you're like, I just like this, right? Like you're gay, straight or whatever. And then you see something that you're like, ooh, like I like that and I don't know why. And you get what I call a confused boner, right? That's how I was this entire movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> because there was parts of it that I was like, I was very happy about. Like, dude, anytime you see uh, Keaton as Batman, I was like, this is amazing. Then when I, after I talked to you, I thought about it afterwards. I'm like, the movie wasn't good. It was fun. And it was really cool to see Keaton. And then obviously, spoiler alert. Well, we already said that at the top. I even started. You know, Clooney shows up at the end, which I was like, oh, man. Um, I did like Sasha Cali, but I think it's because she is just a, it's stunning. Like, oh, my God. Like, no, didn't look, you know, traditionally, you know, like they super girl like you know blonde hair which i did like the convergence thing at the end i thought you'd like that um but a lot of it was really annoying like not funny annoying it was just annoying like young barry was supposed to be annoying so i was like that's kind of cool right but then when you went to his apartment and like the the two friends that also worked at the crime lab were just unbelievably like white trash annoying and then the dude on the couch, like he picks his leg all the way up and there's just like a, cr- like a gratuitous crotch shot. And it's like a lot of like the same bad jokes. Like I understand they were supposed to sell them as annoying. I get that. But at a certain point, I'm like, can we just wrap this up? Like can we just move to the story. And I turned to Sarah at about 40 minutes in and I was like, is this going to get good? Right? Like, is this going to like, where is all, all the movie, but let's take it back to start. Cause you mentioned the baby in the microwave. Um, and I mentioned the bad CGI just in that whole whole section. So let's start from the beginning and we'll kind of go and pick it apart as we go. So what was your experience with the dropping babies? Well, look, first though, let me say, you know how in the trailers and posters, they'll use pull quotes from press and these days from fans online, apparently. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of that with Flash. Greatest superhero movie of all time, including from James Gunn himself, which boy, I want to talk about. I want to talk about that and what that implies yeah. about the future. But I really wish that for for subsequent press that they use your quote of, you know, this movie gave me a confused boner at, <laughs> at Real Life Lobo. I think that would be great because people would be like, what does that mean? And I feel like that might get them to see it. Anyway. I think they'll know what it means. If they've seen it, <laughs> if they've seen it, they'll go, yeah, I got a confused boner. If they haven't seen it, they're like, I want a confused boner. When do I get my ticket? Uh, yeah, now, but that's as, what I thought about. As we said, we're talking spoilers. We're assuming people have seen it or at least know the gist of this movie. I can't, I'm not going to do a full detail plot by plot breakdown because I can't imagine anyone doesn't know the gist of this movie with all no, of the press, yet. everything they released ahead of time. But real quick for anybody who needs it, Barry Allen decides to go back in time and save his mother and change the timeline despite the warnings of Batfleck. He does so, uh, but ends up breaking reality as he typically does in these flashpoint-esque stories and gets stuck in the past in 2013 with his younger self. And in this new reality that he's created, we no longer have Batfleck. We have Michael Keaton as Batman. They actually gave more of an explanation for that than I thought they would. Fair enough, but still ridiculous. I want to talk about that. And we now have Supergirl instead of Superman. And we go from there. And yes, this does build to this moment you alluded to earlier where Barry gets a peek at the larger multiverse 
And this was such a great opportunity to really showcase the history of the DC universe and all of the different incarnations that we've had. And it, it right. could have been, it could have been majestic and magnificent. And instead we got a video game on screen. Okay. It was really, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of likens back to the original point where I was like, did they not polish this thing? Oh, because, Oh wait, wait, wait. I'm, I don't mean to cut you off, but did you not hear? No, the, the, and I don't, I don't mean, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to hold back on that tone. I don't want to sound like such a dick as we're talking about this, but, right. <laughs> but no, the, please do the, the director. It's just, that's, and again, I'm, here's the thing. We're past a hundred episodes into this podcast. I'm trusting that the audience knows what we do here and is on board and will give us the benefit of the doubt. So just bear with me, folks, if I am a little bit, uh, a little bit, if I sound a little bit annoyed, because I am, I am a little bit annoyed with this yep. movie. Andy Muschietti, the director, he has said, he's explained that it was supposed to look like that. It was supposed to look like that because we're so, seeing Barry's perspective of the speed force and the multiverse. And apparently in that, right. in that scenario, everything Everything looks like that. So it's not that the CGI was bad. It was supposed to look like that. But I think you're also referring not just to that moment in the Speed Force, but just the CGI the generally. Yeah, the CGI yeah. in general. Like that first scene. Like, look, I knew as soon as, he, as soon as he started running backwards and forwards in that sand, right? I was like, they they wouldn't have done this unless their intention was to make it look like this. But why does it look like that, right? Like, what was the... like? Make them out of sand then, right? Like, why even bother putting up anything that people are going to be like, what? Because, like, look, he can say it's supposed to look like that. That's fine. Everybody who sees this movie is going to be like, why does it look like that? Yeah. So it just seems like the intention went went left because there's no reason for it to look like that. Um. Yeah, that that was a strange, uh, a strange show. And then they're, like, falling forward like in a bad YouTube video where they're just like falling and disappearing and stuff. I'm like, what, what is going on with this? So before, before we talk about the babies, I will say again, and, and where, where appropriate, I will talk about stuff that I liked in this movie. There were a few things that I liked. Not oh, dude, there's a ton of stuff that I like. It just didn't happen until later. <laughs> but we start off with this whole sequence, Barry, he's running low on, on energy, on calories. He's at the restaurant. He's trying to get a sandwich. His usual person isn't there. He's freaking out. And then he gets this call from Jeremy Irons, Alfred. There's this situation at the hospital. Batman needs help, blah, blah, blah. And we're off from there. I will say, I did think it was cool, the effect when Barry is running towards Gotham and you're kind of running with him and you're seeing everything yeah, speed yeah. by you. Like, I thought that was cool. Like, fair enough. I was like, okay, like that's yeah, visually, yeah. that was cool. But then when we get there and we get to this extended sequence of Barry saving these infant babies who are plummeting from the hospital window to the ground below, I just thought, not only did it did it look really rough, but I just thought it was in such poor taste generally, but specifically when he saves that one baby by putting, by putting them in the microwave. And yeah. it's weird because, look, we talk about a lot of stuff on the show, and there are a lot of times where we, we will not even call something out, but we'll just sort of recognize, oh, this might be a little dated, this wouldn't happen today, you know, this wasn't necessarily appropriate, but we, you know, this, this is old. But we're talking about something that just came out. So that's all to say, I don't think that I'm generally easily offended, but I was really offended by the baby in the microwave. And later on, I was yeah. very much offended by deceased actors being resurrected via CGI. There, th Those were a couple of things where I was just like, this is not right. And to your earlier point, it always boggles my mind when you think about the number of people. 
You know, what's funny. I always assume this is the case. Maybe not. Maybe Andy Muschietti just got to do whatever the hell he wanted. I don't know. But I always think about like the number of people, producers, executives, studio heads, like you have to sign off on these things. Um, yeah. and, and it's weird. Like so at no point was someone like, hey, you know, maybe baby in a microwave, like baby in an oven cooking a baby. Like maybe we don't do that. Maybe you put yeah. the baby in a box yeah. or something, a shoebox, like, anything. Yeah. yeah. Or on the beds that were falling, <laughs> you had plenty of time. You could put them all on beds. Like, I don't understand. Like, and then like each one that was falling, they made sure to highlight a different catastrophe. Like every one of them, one had knives falling on them, scalpels. One of them was like, something was about to hit. I'm just like, every single one of these babies was in, like, look, they're already in dire straits. They're falling from a collapsing building. Each one didn't need like a separate fate now to prove how fast he was. We get it. The movie's called The Flash. We understand. But it just seemed like that was a weird, like, I don't know if I was offended by as much as I didn't know what to think. I was like, what? Like, this is a strange choice uh, for for an opening. Also, to go back to the Batfleck part, it didn't look like him or sound like, did you get that too? Like, it, it didn't sound like him. I was like, okay. <laughs> maybe it's somebody else. It, so here's the, here's the thing. <laughs> Obviously, Batfleck was there for the civilian scene outside Barry's mm -hmm. apartment, obviously, and the Wonder Woman scene, which we'll talk about. Otherwise, I would bet money on the fact that 99% of that Batfleck action sequence was the stunt double, with the exception of- It had to be. With the exception of any if they did a close-up, and even then, I, I, they probably just superimposed that later, or maybe they had him there just like for, just for those couple of quick shots and inserted them, uh, because there were a lot of set photos uh, as they were making this movie, and it was a yeah. lot of the stunt double. And if I remember correctly, you, we're going back years now, because this thing was in production yeah. forever, but I remember at the time, or if I remember correctly, there were reports about when Batfleck was getting to the shooting location, when Ben Affleck was getting to the shooting location, and it was right. past all of the stuff with the stunt double in the Batman suit. So I think uh, there was a tremendous amount that was just the stunt double there. And look, with Batman, yeah, I guess you can get away with it, but it shows. So when 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 Hot Toys put out the Batman, he was in that, dude, Hot, Hot, dude they will try to make money on anything. Batman was in the movie for 12 minutes, right? And only in that suit for four or five. And when they put out the 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 still of the toy, and Hot Toys usually nails it all the time. That's kind of what they do. And I was like, the face looks different. So the entire time I'm going into the movie, I'm like, oh, maybe it's a multiverse version. Because I didn't even think the figure looked like him. And while he's riding around, when he's talking to him, I'm like, babe, that's definitely not Ben Affleck. Like, just the voice was different completely. And it's not even like they could have voice modulated it like he normally does. Like, why didn't you just do that? Like what, what was the reason to not do that part? It just, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe that's why they ran so many, um, like two week, three week, four week previews because someone had to be like, Hey man, um, you might want to question these five things. And it seems like nobody did because the whole time I didn't think it was him until Diana showed up, which was kind of cool. Like that part I really did like, and I do like the fact that they had a flirtation going on. I thought that was cool too. Um, yeah, but that whole opening, I was just like, man, like you, you, like that was rough. Like that was really rough. Like I'm surprised there wasn't like an outrage afterwards about it. The, the implications that this movie has for the future of DC films 
we can save it for the end. We can kind of jump in and out as we move along. But this, I think, is an, is an opportune moment to ask you. It was very recently announced that Andy Muschietti is going to be directing Batman Brave and the Bold. After mm-hmm. seeing how he handled two different, three, <sighs> three different Batman in, in this movie, how, how do you feel yeah. about him as the choice to lead the new Batman era in, in the mainline DCU? Obviously, Matt Reeves still has his own corner, which, real quick, side note, uh, when, when all the reports started coming out that Matt Reeves didn't want to play ball with the new James Gunn cinematic universe, right? Yeah. He wanted to just stay off and do his own thing. There was a part of me that's like, well, don't let this guy do that. You know, he's, it's not ultimately up to him. We have to yeah. build a cohesive universe. Now, I'm saying, you don't you know, I'm saying, you know what? Yeah. No, I get it. I completely, I, I retract anything yeah. I said before about how Matt Reeves should, uh, should participate in this because after seeing this and where I think the, the movies are going, I'm kind of like, I get why he wants to just stay off and do his own thing. And I really yeah. like the Batman and you know what? He should just do his own. Anyway, how do you feel about this director taking on Batman? So we've talked about different directors doing stuff, right? And, and rewrites and edits, and all the rest of that stuff and how, how many directors are like, that wasn't my vision, right? Like, that's not what I had in mind. That's not what I shot. You know, we've gone through it the whole time with the Snyder verse stuff. And it's just like, dude shoots a good looking movie. Um, I liked all the acting in the movie, except for the stuff that was annoying. But like I said, it was supposed to be intentionally annoying. Um, I don't mind it. I don't because he, so to fast forward in it, the silo fight, with Keaton was on par with the warehouse fight with Batfleck from BVS. It was so good. It was like action packed. There was a lot of swooping shots and stuff like that. I dug it hard. So it's just like, well, how much power does the director actually have? Right? Like if he shoots a four hour movie and they cut it down, you know, the editors and, 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 and whoever gets to rewrite and reshoot afterwards, he's just kind of like, all right, well, that's not even my movie anymore. So at this point, I'm just hoping for a good brave and bold movie because I don't know what, what, who's got power over what, I don't know who's got what decision and to go to the Batman, you can't have the Battinson version in a world with superheroes. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like I like the fact that that's terrestrial, you know, he's fighting, you know, you, you know, he gets the penguin. He gets, I don't want Superman flying into that movie. Like I don't, I think you need someone like, you know, um, a Ben Affleck for that, like someone that's been established for a couple of years. I don't want Batman year two, year three, now having to show up with a new Wonder Woman. So again, I don't know what their plans are to bring all that stuff together. I don't know if everything is going to be together. Um, he says there's going to be continuity, but they've also said that before. And some of the ones outside of continuity, I liked even better. Like besides the fact that they ruined Cassandra Kane, I actually didn't mind Harley Quinn and the Emancipation. But like, like I liked the Bird's Prey. I thought it was good. I thought Huntress was hilarious. I thought a lot of that movie was really good. Um, Ewan McGregor was terrifying. Was, the, the dude who played Zaz kind of felt like he walked out of a hot topic circa 1997. Um, he was just totally edgy. Uh, but I really liked that flick. So. I just hope they do a good movie because taking on something like the brave and the bold, like how long has been, how long has the brave and the bold been around for, you know, like showcasing different people. Like I just want a good flick. And I don't think that the, I think the flash now does what we said it would do. It opens up a bunch of different doors to be like, well now, you know, Ezra Miller with all his, their issues, they're stuck somewhere else. They're in George Clooney land. Now you 
can bring in somebody else. So I think whatever the plan was for the Flashpoint to reset everything, which is why they kept that movie, is doing it. Um, would I have kept that over whatever the Batgirl flick was supposed to be? I probably not, dude. I, I really wanted to see the Batgirl movie, man. No, I was hot <clears> on that. I hear you. No, fair, fair enough with all of that. And we'll talk more about the the ending in a bit. But yes, I think that your your point is is well taken in that I think there is a good argument to be made here. And I think James Gunn might have even liked a tweet suggesting this. So maybe this is our answer that the the reality that Barry ends up in at the end of the movie where George Clooney is Batman, that in and of itself suggests that he he's not now in the quote unquote main timeline, right? Like he's off somewhere else. Sure. And essentially we can kind of go from wherever, go wherever we want to from here. Of course, the ending itself went through three different iterations. We'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah. One other kind of initial big picture question, and you're the perfect person to ask, you'll actually be coming back when we do our Big Red Skies crisis event and we'll talk about Flashpoint. I know you're a big Flashpoint guy. Now, oh this, my God, it's my favorite. this ultimately wasn't called Flashpoint into the Flash, but clearly takes a lot of its cues and its inspiration from the Flashpoint comic, essentially the core idea of Barry going back in time to save his mother. But from there, but that's it. they really diverge. And, my, and Muschietti has talked about this and it was very purposeful that he didn't want to do a direct adaptation. He, and I don't have the exact quote, but something to the effect of, you know, he, he wanted to keep people guessing. And and by not doing right. a literal adaptation, you didn't know where the story was going to go. Let me toss it to you. Do you think that this was the right choice or do you think that they should have adhered more closely, even if it's not a literal translation, but adhered more closely to the the bones of Flashpoint? I think when, when a director of a comic book movie says, uh, I wanted to keep people guessing the niche that they're talking about is just the people who have read that run. Everyone else has no idea where it's going from. And if we learned anything from, from Mike Zapp uh, over at Jay and Bob and Sean and all the rest of the people that we know, the movies did not translate into higher sales for comics. They didn't. So it's not like a bunch of people went out and read Flashpoint and was like, where's Thomas and Martha? Why is an Aquaman and Wonder Woman fighting? I think that's just a way to be like, hey, I want to shoot my own movie with this one thing in it. And otherwise, I'm just going to go off on my own thing. So I think that's kind of like a cop out answer. I really do, because the only thing was that he screws up timelines. That was the, that was it. They even changed the reverse Flash aspect of it, which, oh, to sidestep real quick, the parts that were really nice were the family parts. Dude, I got to admit, man, I like I got pretty emotional during like all that, like with him uh, at the end with his mom and he tells her he misses her. And like she kind of kind of knows who he is. And then he changes the position like all the family stuff was real, real heartfelt. But that's what I'm saying. Like it flip flops back and forth so much between stuff that I really loved and stuff that I was like, what is this? Like, why is this even in here? Uh, yeah, man, but the family stuff was great. So how'd you feel about like the actual plot line? Because it was just to fix his family or get his dad off. And like he did. But like, but where do you sit on the whole not enough flashpoint? Because honestly, show me one convergence with Thomas and Martha. Just one. It doesn't matter who's playing them. But like that was one that that flashpoint run was so amazing where Bruce dies instead of everyone. And at one point, you know, Flash says, you know, I can save your parents too. And I was like, perfect segue, man. Like, here we go. You know, tries to save the parents and and he does, but Bruce dies. Uh, so where'd you feel on the, the not enough Flashpoint for Flashpoint? No, that's it exactly. And I will say though, because like I said, I want to acknowledge what I liked. And I did think that 
everything with Barry's parents in this movie. I thought that was, those, oh, so those were the most emotionally resonant, most compelling moments. And I thought those were well done. The final scene between Barry and his mom at the supermarket, and especially when he shifts into super speed and is taking his time with this farewell moment and yeah. taking the can that of tomatoes good. out of the cart that gets you at the same time. And I don't, I don't mean to be <clears throat> overly negative here, but it's nothing that the Flash TV series didn't do first, didn't do better, yeah. and didn't do over a longer period of time. So right. they weren't really breaking any new ground here. Nevertheless, what they did with the parents, I did think was effective, in fairness. Um, but again, wh where I bump up against this is that that's more of the tone that I wanted for the rest of the movie. And on that front, there are, there are a number of things we're talking about. I do think, and I'm going to get to it right now, about the whole lack mm. of Flashpoint there are certain yes. things about this movie that I think were fundamental flaws objectively, but I do recognize that tone in particular is something that is subjective. People want a different tone. They want a different vibe. I get that. For yeah. me, I wanted something that was not overly grim, but that was more serious. And so much of right. this just felt like it was trying to emulate the jokey Marvel style. And I know this is a common criticism among those who did have criticisms of the movie, but it's one I share. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, and especially when you get to the note that they end on with Clooney and that ridiculous post credit scene where you have Jason Momoa falling down drunk. Yeah, just like, I don't. This is what this is what you want to leave people with. This is the overall vibe. So <clears throat> tonally, ultimately, I didn't like where it landed with these couple of exceptions with the parents. I really wish that they had adhered more closely to Flashpoint on a couple of levels. Number one, I I've said this. I'll continue to say this. I was never the biggest fan of the revisions to the origin that Jeff Johns created when he brought back Barry Allen, mm -hmm. this idea that reverse flash had killed, had gone back in time and killed yep. Nora Allen. I don't feel that every superhero needs to have the death of a parent as a motivation. However, yeah. not to put myself in the position of Jeff Johns defender here, but one thing that I think works about that is it's different than Spider-Man where it's this random act of violence. And again, of course you have the right. connection point that Peter had let that guy go, but nevertheless, yeah. What makes what makes the Flash piece distinct is that this was an enemy who exacted revenge by inserting himself into this early point in the hero's timeline and irrevocably yeah. changing their life. And when you take that out of it, you take something away from the story by not. And this movie doesn't concern itself at, at all with <clears throat> with who killed Nora Allen. I mean, I guess you could make an argument no. that if in a subsequent movie they wanted to reveal it was reverse Flash, they could do a whole thing like that. But you're definitely left with the impression here that it was just some random burglary gone but wrong. Like, yeah, but that was my issue, too. So they live in what seems like a very, very nice neighborhood, right? I'm not saying bad stuff always happened in bad neighborhoods, right? But, like, it was broad daylight. It was broad daylight. The kid's upstairs. His dad just left. What did someone walk through the front door and be like, I'm going to stab this woman and run out the back door? It just didn't seem like, like, at least show someone outside. Give them a reason to go in there. The only reason for this person in this movie to go in there was just to stab a mom cooking. Like that was it. And I understand the point of like, these were canon points, right? Well, I think Spider-Verse called it canon points, but it was the same concept, right? Like in this situation, Supergirl's going to die. Batman's going to die. And no matter how many times you change that, these things are always going to happen. I like that. I like that. And after they die for the first time, after the second time, I was like, oh, now I get it. Like, there's nothing you could do about these situations. 
because they need to happen in order to make these other things happen, which, like I said, strangely enough, is exactly what went on in Spider-Verse, where like these people had to die and you kind of screw this up by taking another spider. Um, but that last, fu- like, I do like that. Um, what's a d- Michael, who played Zod? Michael Shannon. Apparently he was like, he went to Snyder and was like, do you mind if I play like Zod? I wouldn't feel right without you doing it. Like, I thought that was really cool. He's, he's petrifying, man. I love that guy. Like he's, and I've seen him in goofy stuff and he's still like as Zod, dude, he's, he's so good. He's a, he's a great actor. And I, I gained even more respect for him uh, through that interview because I watched that. And not only did he ask Snyder for Snyder's blessing, but in that interview, he also defended Man of Steel. And you don't hear that much these days from the people who were involved right. with it. And he said, he was like, I think that was really a sophisticated story and it was a character study. And he's right. And I'll circle back to this because the Snyder piece is, is a whole other thing. But yes, yeah, there, yeah, there is a part of me that's still, that is still frustrated with, all right, let me just get this out now. I recognize there are all sorts of categories of fans. There are those who like the Snyder stuff and Flash. There are those who right. only liked one or the other. There are those who like neither, right? I get that. And I'm not trying to say everyone falls into one bucket. There's a variety of, of reactions to this stuff. But generally speaking, the response to the Snyder movies ultimately gave way to what we got in this movie and this tone. And I do genuinely think this is kind of going, well, after the re, the box office, maybe not. Maybe they might pivot now. I don't know. Well, that remains to be seen. We'll track that as we move forward here. But at least as of watching this movie and James Gunn proclaiming this is one of the greatest superhero films ever made, it's like either you're lying because you want to sell this movie and I don't trust you or you genuinely believe that and I disagree and I'm concerned right. about you are following this track for future movies. But in any event, it's like ultimately this, the response to the Snyder movies is so much of what's followed from these DC films has been a reaction to that and trying to move away mm. from it, but not making a clean break, which even though I love the Snyder movies, if they had just said, we're starting over completely from scratch, fine. But it's this half-assed yeah. approach that is driving me nuts. And what's frustrating yeah. to me is I don't, like I know this is subjective. I know people have different reactions to things, but I just- of course. After watching Flash, I went back to the Snyder Cut and I watched a couple of the Flash scenes. I watched the scene where he saves Iris at the beginning. Mm. And and I watched the speed of force scene from the, the climax where he reverses time. Yeah. And I'm watching those scenes. And to me, and you might, you know, someone else might be like, oh, they were, they, whatever, whatever criticism you have of them. But for me, I watched them and they, they worked so well. I thought they were gorgeous. Yeah. I thought there was emotion. I thought... In the, in the rescuing Iris scene, how tenderly he positions her and lies her down, the music that's playing, yep. the way we everything just slows down and you're just in that moment. And then in that big climax, he's talking to his dad and he's, he's performing this miracle, essentially. I'm watching this and it's like, that's, that's what I want, not shoving a baby yep. in a microwave. So yep. there is this frustration for me. And I really, I, I don't want to frame it as like, guys, what's wrong with you? Why, <laughs> why do you like this? And I don't want, don't want to frame it like that. But on an, an emotional gut level, there is, there is that feeling. And I, I, I can't, yep. I, I can't deny that, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, um, you can keep it funny, you know, and, and, and like I said, not, not have 17 death traps for infants in the beginning. Like, you just don't need that part. Like, you don't need it. Like, just have them all fall and put them all on different, you know, tie all the beds together, make a ramp, do whatever. But, like, all the excess stuff 
was you already have when they started to wheel towards the window i was like no they're not going to do this dude they're babies they're not going to do it as soon as they start to fall out i was like whoa like let me give you um an example i watched old people it's a german horror movie it is fantastic there are things that other countries will do and American moviegoers go, oh, my God, they let that go. But they're used to doing that. When we see something like this in an OK, you know, American where everybody's offended, which for this rightfully so. Right. Like, what if you had a kid like Eric Clapton's son fell out of a window? Right. Like, what if like any one of these things is similar? Actually, when he threw the baby in the microwave, it, it reminded me of um, there was a guy in in, um, in Texas who left his baby in the car because he was high on meth. He left his baby in the car and the poor baby roasted and the guy was still high because he fell asleep when he went in and put the kid inside the refrigerator to try and calm him down. Like there's just certain things that Americans don't touch for for offensive purposes like we just don't. Meanwhile, you look at like Korean films, Serbian films that like they do everything and everyone's just like, whatever, it's a movie. So the fact that 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 got through, I was like, whoa, man, like it could have been anybody. Like, why make it babies? Like, why couldn't it just been like old people? Like it could have been anyone else and would have been more acceptable. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Oh Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Oh Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Oh yeah. Um, how many f bombs make an explicit tag? One or more than one? <laughs> I get. I uh, you know what? I'm going to follow movie rules. Typically, a PG-13 movie gets one, so we'll follow that. Okay. 
Okay. Because I have to say, we just talked about like, you know, there's people who like it. There's people who don't like it. There's people who argue stuff like that. I, I love all of those people. If you don't like it, tell me why you don't like it. That's great. We can have a conversation. The people who just go in knowing that they're going to hate the movie and can't wait to wa- hate watch it, just say, fuck them. Like, they don't count. Like, your opinion doesn't count. If you go in going, oh, you know, this movie, everyone's talking about how good it is. I'm going to find out all the stuff that's bad with it. They don't get an opinion. They don't. Because you're supposed to give constructive opinions, right? So if you're just doing it just for the sake to be like the naysayer, because look at what naysaying has done to the DC universe as a whole. I didn't have a problem with Man of Steel. I didn't. I don't have a problem with it. It tonally it's dark. The dude just got here. Um, it tells a really cool beginning story. Um, and then, you know, Ron Tomatoes gets their hands on everything. And it's really hard for people to separate between, you know, I'm gonna go watch this movie open-minded, even though you just saw all these reviews that say otherwise. I think the DC universe caught a bad rap. I'm not saying everything they did was great, but I don't think a lot of stuff they did did deserves, you know the beating that it took when Thor love and thunder is walking around with a 70 something percent. And that was one of the, that was the worst, the, and I love both of those storylines. That was the worst comic book movie I've ever seen. Did you, Sean Hendricks, Sean's always like, I'm always on Anthony show. People always mention me. Yeah. Sean has mentioned you. He showed me the outtakes, the stuff that didn't make it, not outtakes, cut scenes that didn't make it. Dude, they are horrendous. And Taika Haktiti thought that they were amazing. And it's just like, that movie didn't catch hell, right? But a lot of the DC stuff, I don't think should have caught as much hell as it did. Like, I really don't. Like, we talked about Aquaman. Aquaman was a good flick. Do I want to see part two? God, no. I don't care about Aquaman 2. Just put it on HBO Max at this point. Blue Beetle looks okay. And I do like some of the stuff on the slate, right? Like, the Amanda Waller show. Do I love making the wall like this force? She's awesome. I love that character. I love the actress who, like, I love everything about that. Some of the stuff I'm like, huh, that's a weird choice, but I'm willing to give him, you know, a shot. And I, 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 I recanted on two things. One, I said I would never see the Flash movie. And then I was thinking, I was talking to you about it. I'm like, what about all the other people involved in that movie? Like, no, I don't like Ezra Miller because of what he did. He's grooming girls and stuff like that. Like, that's terrible. And he's trying to hide behind, you know, his identity in order to do it. But there are other people involved in that movie, man. Like Sasha Cali did a great job. Keaton did a great job. There's ADs on that movie. There's grips on that movie. There's other people on that movie. You can't just boycott a whole movie because of one person. That's not fair to the other people who are on the movie. So uh, let me so let me answer your question about Flashpoint. And then I do want to talk about right. what went on before this movie came out. And I do want to talk about the Ezra Miller piece. But going back to, because you brought up a lot of great points. the With the Flashpoint piece, I don't need a literal translation, but I do think if you're going to tell the story, tell the story and tell it right. Here's the thing. And people's mileage on this may vary. I'm sure there's a whole contingent of fans who are just happy to see Michael Keaton and back as Batman, right? And that's enough for them. And that's great. However, ultimately that's fan service. I look at something like uh, Spider-Man No Way Home and there, yes, you have the fan service aspect of uniting these three franchises. They did the pointing meme, right? Great fan service. Mm-hmm. But it also all tracked internally within that movie. There was a story reason why these two other Spider-Men needed to be there. They're mm-hmm. other versions of the same character, and they've gone through similar things, and they can share an experience that 
helps our Peter, our current Peter, along on his yeah. journey. There's a reason why they're there. Here, there's really no reason why it's Michael Keaton other than, oh, it'll be cool to bring back Michael Keaton and people will like that. Okay. This could I'm have so been- I'm so glad you said that. This okay. could have been any Batman. Any Batman could have given that speech about the, the tragedy defining you and this and that. And what would have been more impactful, one of two things, it could have just been Batfleck. Batfleck is the one this character has the relationship with. Short yeah. of that, you bring back Jeffrey Dean Morgan and have him play Thomas Wayne as I assume yeah. was always intended. Or I'll give a third option. <laughs> Even if it had been Michael Keaton, but Michael Keaton had been playing Thomas Wayne, you get that dynamic and it ties everything together to, to your earlier point when Barry's like, I can save your parents too. It's like, okay, this is the unintended consequence yeah. of that. You save the parent, but Bruce died. Now the parent is Batman. He's gone off the deep end. That's the story that I think right. would have would have been far more compelling. It That, I think, was a fundamental now, flaw. Now, the one big issue with making it a Flashpoint movie is the focus on the side issues were just other stuff that was going on. You make a Flashpoint movie, you have to bring in um, Aquaman and Wonder Woman, who've pretty much destroyed the world to separate it. That is a completely different movie. That is no longer a Flash movie. Um, that's a Flashpoint movie. Starring all those people, but you can't do that to that that scale. Like you just can't. So you take a whole bunch of side stuff and you put it together. I I, I you know my obsession with Thomas and Martha Wayne as Batman uh, and the Joker. I love that story. It is heartbreaking. It is totally dark. It's awesome. But here's my thing about the Michael Keaton thing. You know, your movies are on a decline, right? No one wants to go see him. People are poo-pooing him all over the place. So you bring in Michael Keaton. If this movie did not have Michael Keaton in it, it would have made one-third of what it made in the opening weekend. People went, in my opinion, because like I said, I went. I didn't want to go and see, I told you, didn't really want to go see it. I went for to see Keaton as Batman again. Um, Want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. That, that was amazing, dude. But that's fan service, right? And I wanted to see Sasha Cali because I thought she would have a future here. Maybe they pull her from somewhere else. I don't know. But as you, as everybody knows, the sticking point was that she's going to die. Um, but I'm telling you right now, if you, if you have anyone else playing Batman, even like a fan fit, like, you know, you bring in Jensen Eccles or somebody. I don't think a lot of people are seeing that movie. I think a lot of people went to go see it because of Keaton and it still didn't, like you said, it's still underperformed. Well, so that's the thing. I don't disagree with you. But I think that speaks to a larger problem. If you need Michael Keaton to prop this thing up, even when narratively it really doesn't make any sense, I think that's a problem. Now, I said this before, I do give them credit because I was, and I also have to, <laughs> I have to give a shout out to Zach Moore from Always Hold On to Smallville because well, he and I, I won't share the content of our conversations, but he and I have been talking like daily about this, just sharing right. what's been going on. And uh, I, I realized a few weeks before the movie came out that I really, I didn't understand the plot of it. Because in my mind, I really thought this was totally a multiverse thing. Like, I thought Barry just ended up on a different Earth. I mean, I guess, in a sense, ultimately he does. By changing time, he creates yeah, this he new does, Earth yeah. or this new reality. Because the thing that I – the sticking point for me was how on Earth would changing the past result in Michael Keaton being Batman? That's why I thought we were just – it was just totally just like a different Earth situation. And yeah. I, I actually do give them as much credit uh, – you know, I give them credit for doing as much as they did of, of having Bruce Wayne. Somehow he's this time travel expert – 
uh, and he's able to explain these fulcrum points and how you change the, you know, you change the past and everything before it and after a change, all that yeah. stuff. At least they did that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think if they, if they kind of need that to prop it up, I, I do think that speaks to a larger problem. Uh, but so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't think that's totally tracked now with Sasha Kale or Kaye. I think I'm not sure exactly how you say yeah. it. I think it's, it's Kaye, but I'm not sure either. Uh, I liked her a lot too. And going back to what you were saying before, no, she doesn't look like Kara Zor-El or Kara Zor-El, depending on your pronunciation, right. typically looks in the comics. However, she does look like a more realistic cousin to yes. Superman. And right. I thought, here's the thing, <laughs> this poor girl, I, you know what? Honestly, she's my MVP of this whole process. And I'll tell you why. Number one, yes. she had to carry this press tour on its back. You have a lead uh -huh. who can't do any press. That's a major, that's a, a major yeah. blow. Uh, you have yep. Michael Keaton, who was unavailable. He's like doing a movie in London. And then you got Affleck, who probably wants as little to do with this as possible. Of course, all the late night talk shows are dark because of the writer's strike. And this yep. girl, this young woman is doing the bulk of the press for what's ultimately, you know, an important but relatively small piece of the movie. Yeah. And I thought- that she, And Instagram, like she's everywhere. Dude, she is single-handedly putting this entire marketing like on her back. And she's like, come see my movie. I'm awesome in it. And you know what? She was, man. Oh, that was the other Flashpoint sticking point. Instead of it being Clark that that is in the potato sack, it's her. I love that. I love that switch. I also like when Zod was like, oh, no, that infant didn't make it. But I'm like, more infant killing? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he said it a little bit more classy. Um, but I really, I liked her a lot, dude. I liked her a lot. Like, I want to see more of her. Yeah, and I know that the Gunn has announced they're doing an adaptation of Woman of Tomorrow, which we did a whole episode on, and yep. the implication seemed to be it would be a new Supergirl. Whether it's her or or a different project altogether, I really hope the studio takes care of her because I think she really rose to the occasion here. Yeah. And uh, I liked what she did with what little she had to work with. Her entire arc in this movie is, I'm Kryptonian, they're my people. She sees Zod kill yeah. the general. Oh, I'll help you guys. That's her whole arc yeah. in this movie. It's as yeah. bare bones as it gets, but she does as much as she can. Poor Michael Shannon has nothing to do. It's funny, going back to that yeah. interview, he talked, He and God, I love this guy. He was like, he's, he's like, so good. He's dude. like, this wasn't as satisfying for me as Man of Steel with these multiverse movies. He said, he was like, I feel like it's action figures, like you're playing with different action figures. And yeah. that's a he essentially really had one scene of substance where he's talking to Kara about killing Kal-El. That's like, that's it. Other yeah. than that, it's mostly just some action. So yeah, uh, even her reaction to that, dude, she gave me the chills. Yeah. Like all that yelling, dude, like she, dude, that was so good. Like, like if I could just take the last, th like, and I do like how the younger Barry takes a Batman outfit and puts like caution tape on the side. Like I thought that was cool because it seems like something he would do. Um, as soon as those crystals start to grow on him, I'm like, okay, now it makes sense because the first guy who dumps him out of the time stream, you never see him again. So I assumed over the course, I was like, well, it's not going to be uh, Ebal Thorn, right? So it's not going to be Reverse Flash. So who is this person? And as soon as we didn't see him during the entire movie, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. The only person it can be is 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 Young Barry. Um, yeah, but that last part is so good, dude, and it's so heartbreaking. Like when Batflex canopy, I mean, well, when uh, Keaton's canopy doesn't open and like he gets killed, but I was like, wow, this is really like, again, give me heartfelt. It could still be funny. It just doesn't have to be hokey. And the whole scene, dude, remove all the stuff with his friends from his world at the crime place and the roommates and give me something else. That was just a unnecessary part. 
It was a necessary part. What, just to keep calling people Gary and Barry? That was, that was stupid. No, I, I listen, I agree. I think you got you got more mileage out of it being Supergirl instead of Superman. Here's the problem that I had, and this is kind of along the tracks of what I was saying with respect to Keaton. Well, there's a couple components to this. Number one, I think the marketing, they shot themselves in the foot with the marketing on this because I think had they not revealed Supergirl in the trailers and the press and everything, this could have right. been a really, really cool reveal. Because for two thirds yeah. of the movie, it's we got to find Clark, we got to find Clark. We assume we're going to see yeah. Clark, right? I mean, we don't because we know where this movie is going because they've shown us so much right. of it. That could have been a really cool payoff, but that's not what we got. And I think that, again, just kind of looking at the internal logic of the movie, there is so much talk of Clark and Superman. It begs, I feel, people will disagree. Yeah, I feel like it begs an appearance of some sort by Clark by Superman. They talk about right. him too much. Now, again, if we didn't know, well, Supergirl, he was in the stand in yeah. the really bad CGI. Yeah. Yeah. But if, and he was also, you know, on the TV screen, uh, helping yeah. uh, with that volcano at the beginning. Yeah. Another instance of the, the headless cameo. Anyway. Yeah. The stat, yeah. The, 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 the Cape primarily. If they had not revealed Supergirl before we went into this movie and you have all this talk of Clark and then they find Supergirl. Great. That actually, I mean, I still would have wanted to see Clark, but at the same time, okay, that's a good twist. But they let right. all the air out of that balloon by giving away that twist. And they had to, right? They yeah. did every, I mean, I can't, I'm shocked that they haven't officially released the clips of the multiverse sequence yet to try to get people to, to go. They gave away yeah, so much, but in so doing now, there's no twist with it being Supergirl. So you have all of this talk of Clark and I feel like it just, it sets up, it creates this, it necessitates this payoff that never comes. So I, I thought yeah. that was, that to me was a, was a major failing of the movie. But again, I really did like her with what little she had to do. And like I said, I hope the studio takes care of her. I hope, I hope you know, there's more coming her way, whether it's in the DC world or otherwise. She did a great job both on screen and behind this, you know, and we're, you know, on the, on the press tour with this. I really I yeah. give her a lot of props for that. So now is the plan to put someone else in that, in that, in that role? Like, I, why would you do that? I, 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 and I can't remember offhand if they said that explicitly or if that was just kind of the implication or the assumption, I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll see. I think right now, I think even before, but I think especially now after the box office, there's a lot that's really up in the air. Now, look, we still have to talk about that whole multiverse thing, but we, you brought up a couple of other things and we've been dancing around and I want to talk about it. Uh, partially the Ezra Miller of it all, but, but more so this, the hype, the hype with this movie. And yeah. I agree with everything you said about wanting to go in open-minded and the importance of that. I do agree. I, I'm not, I'm never a fan of wanting to hate watch something. And as someone's listening to this, they, maybe they doubt that I went in with an open mind, but I genuinely did. I, I think I went in with, yeah. with a very realistic sense of what this movie was going to be. And it was, we had to go, we had to go in with open minds. We both said we weren't even going to see it. <laughs> like that was the plan. The plan was not to see it because of what Ezra Miller does and what he's done in his life. And then we talked about it and it's like, all right, well, we got to do the show. And there's so many more people involved in this movie. And honestly, after watching it, I'm like, I glad I watched it for her. Right. Because this could have been something for her to further something, you know, get into something else or whatever. And if anyone just bailed on it, like that poor girl's an actress too, man. Like she took a role. She took a role when before all this stuff was going on. Like you can't like, you know, be like, well, I'm not seeing anything that these people do. Cause then you have to go back 
a long time and start doing that for everything, right? Like no more Guillermo del Toro movies because he loves Lovecraft and Lovecraft was a racist. But like you, like where do you cut the cord? Because if that's the case, no more Naked Gun movies because OJ Simpson was in it. You can't watch anything Stanley Kubrick. Like there's just a bunch of stuff that now you can't do because of associations. But if you go deep into everyone's associations, you're not going to watch anything. You're not going to enjoy anything. Yeah, I mean, I think that's always a question, right, about whether you can separate the art and the artist. And we've done episodes, we talked about Superman Returns, and that has Brian Singer as director and Kevin Spacey as one of the main stars. Yeah. I think yep. one of the things that makes this a little bit trickier is that it's so current, it's present. When we talked about right. Superman Returns, that movie's almost 20 years old. So I think the benefit- I still can't believe that. I know. But I think the 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 time, the distance, the space in between gives you a little bit of- it makes it maybe makes it a little bit easier to kind of look at it more in a vacuum. Whereas here, all of you know, we've been seeing all of these headlines leading up to this movie coming out, and I'm not I'm not looking to turn this into the people versus Ezra Miller. People, I think, have no. a sense of of what 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 they've done or are alleged to have yeah. done. But there was a video of, of them choking that woman. There were charges of disorderly conduct and breaking and entering. Most egregiously, most concerning the charges of grooming a minor. And again, I say charges, we don't know, and not even official, uh, uh, you know, uh, official legal charges, but claims uh, by the parents. So we'll see how all of this shakes out. For me, I guess my perspective is ignoring it, you know, not seeing it, ignoring it totally. That to me just doesn't feel right for one, partly for what you said, that there are so many people involved in making this. And also it's just, it's such a big conversation. And as someone who does this show, it didn't feel right to just sit it out. So this was an instance where I I wanted to see it despite all everything going on. It it is kind of fascinating to me how short people's memories seem to be because at the time, and not that you can use social media really as a barometer, totally, honestly. And, and we see, it's fickle and people, people oh, change yeah. and all that. But at the time, I'm sure you remember, there were a lot of a lot of calls to either scrap the movie or dump it on HBO Max or my favorite oh, yeah. was my favorite was reshoot it with Grant Gustin. Oh, and boy, I still have to talk about Grant Gustin. One of the I'll get back to that. Right. But watching the movie, there's way too much Ezra Miller. You know, you watch it and it's like clearly there's no way in hell they could have re- they would have had to reshoot the entire movie. Ezra plays th- three characters in this thing. It, it would, make, would make no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or even to do any sort of deep fake sort of thing, right? So I think ultimately yeah, because they had to put this that's out. What we talked about when they did it with – um, yeah. We talked about that when they did that with Tig Notaro, yeah. where she did all her lines in front of a green screen. They put her in Army of the Dead. But she was in it a lot, but she was not the entire movie. Like that would have pushed the movie back, I imagine, another year. And then at that point, what did it do? Push everything back? So, yeah, I mean I understood it. Like I would have liked to see that. But but realistically, you're not doing that because you're already taking a loss regardless. Yeah. And I appreciate that Ezra Miller has put out this statement about seeking help. And that's great. And I hope they get the help that they need. It would be good from either Miller or the studio, some a little bit right. or not more, but really any kind of sense of taking responsibility, of accountability, of recognizing that this was not good. But in any event, that's it. That's its own thing. And I will say, yeah. look. I, like I said, I will say what I liked in, in, in fairness, putting everything else aside to Miller's credit. I, I did think they did a really good job of differentiating their performances. When you watch yeah. 
older Barry and 2013 Barry, they really, they really felt very distinct. And so I give them a lot of credit yeah. on that performance front. But on the note of this pre-release hype, for weeks and weeks and weeks, we were being sold this narrative that this movie was the savior of DC films. And, and again, a, a direct quote from James Gunn, one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. Yeah. And many other insiders and executives and fans, fans who went to these advanced screenings who were, were echoing this. What I want to say is, for any fan who, whether it was an advanced screening or or the act or regular release screening that they went to, if you genuinely feel this was one of the greatest superhero films you've seen, great. Honestly, I, I don't I don't want to take away from that. That's great. I'm glad you feel that way. Again, I wish yeah, I did. And I'm not saying that fans were disingenuous. However, you go to comic conventions all the time. I've slowed a bit, uh, but I've I've gone to my fair share, and I've been to New York Comic Con and San Diego Comic Con a bunch of times. And one of the things that right. I've had the opportunity to do at various instances is see advanced screenings of various projects. So I got to see this is going back years now, over a decade. But I got to see that Wonder Woman animated film, that direct to DVD yeah. animated film early at New York Comic-Con. And Nathan Fillion, he did the voice of Steve Trevor. He wasn't there physically, but he he had recorded a video message and they played it. And he's like, hey guys. And everyone erupted in cheers. I was like, oh, Nathan <laughs> Fillion. And I watched that movie and I came out. This is great. I got to see Batman The Killing Joke, the animated movie early. I got to see Batman Year One early. I got to see the Riverdale pilot early. And the people involved come out after and they do a panel. And... I can say from my own experience, I know what it's like to kind of get swept up and you get excited. You're getting to oh, see yeah. it early. You're getting to hear from people involved in it. And so I've I've had that experience of coming away from one of those early screenings, really being pretty high on something and then going back to it later and being like, okay, maybe it's not quite as good <laughs> as, as I originally thought it to be. And so I do yeah. wonder, and I, again, I am not painting with a broad brush. I'm not saying this is everyone, but I have to imagine to some extent, there's a little bit of that phenomenon going on here, given the level of hyperbole about how amazing this movie is. And I also think yeah. we see this all the time, man. There are narratives that develop and the studio cultivates these, right? I mean, when it's a positive one, sometimes it goes in the other direction and <laughs> to the studio's chagrin. Yeah. But it's like they, there are these narratives that they cultivate. And this one was, this is one of the best superhero movies, right? Because that's what Warner Brothers needs it to be. Yeah. They're roping in Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> They're like, yeah. to me, I, I would be shocked if, if Tom Cruise had the reaction that he's alleged to have had. So yeah. all of that to say that uh, it, it was hard to shake that going into this movie. And no, I didn't go in with the purpose of hate watching or anything like that. But at the same time, I think all of that pre-release hype set an unrealistic standard or unrealistic expectation of what this movie yeah. was. And I think ultimately it backfired. You know, it got a cinema score of B. That's the cinema score. They yeah. pull, they pull people coming out of the movie and they generate this, this uh, letter grade. And my understanding from sort of what's been discussed about this is that for these big budget movies, yeah, really kind of neat for the, for the movies that end up going the distance and doing really well at the box office, you need an A or an A plus or an A minus, I guess B plus is kind of like 
okay. Maybe it'll do, maybe it'll do all right. But anything below that, the movie tends not to really have legs. That's my understanding from what's been discussed about this. So, right. So there's, there's clearly a disconnect here, I think between what everyone was saying and then what people are saying now, if you're actually seeing it. You know, did we have a little lag there or a freeze? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, See, but here's my thing. Why so many pre-screenings? You had to know something was up. You had to know something was up. I've never, never seen a movie shown to this caliber outside of like, you know, the first 10 minutes at like a comic book convention, right? Like you said, where you get like a sneak peek. To go to the Paramus AMC and get tickets and go see it weeks early with a bunch of people from like, Warner Brothers standing around making sure you're not filming it. Why? Like, what is going on that they needed to do that outside of we're going to give away free tickets and we're going to see based on all of a, the hype and B the controversy. If people are even going to come because um, again, Justin from fat moose was like, I'm going to go see it again. Cause I want to see the after credit sequence, which was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. That was a complete waste. It was a complete waste. It was just like, why? Like, why is that even that? Like, look, I'm all fans of sometimes like the funny mid credit sequence, but then there's always like one afterwards that kind of like kickstarts something else. But like that, that was so dumb. That was so dumb. Like what? Like at least when you know Gal and Batfleck show up, they had a purpose, right? Like she was off doing something else. He was chasing people around. It was great. But like just to do that, what just to throw Jason Momoa in the movie? Because that's what it felt like. On the note of Jason Momoa, I know a job's a job, and he's probably being a good soldier and he wants to continue at the studio as Aquaman yeah. or maybe Lobo, which when he said that, yeah. I'm like, no, nah, there's one Lobo around here. And I'm looking at him right now on this uh on this screen. That's here. right. <laughs> but I say to myself, he pops up at the end of Peacemaker to be the butt of a joke about having sex with fish. He pops up here to play essentially a dog in human form. And yes, I know the whole gag in the movie is that in the flashpoint reality, Arthur is a dog, (laughs) but here he is literally falling down drunk, sleeping in a puddle. He's a joke. And he's like, I am home. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, yeah. He's a joke. And I say to myself, this I, and as I say it, I know this is asking too much of the actor. I know, but at the same time, I'm like, <sighs> I mean, maybe he just thinks it's funny. I I don't know, but I was like, where is your integrity? You you know, it's like, where is is there no aspect of being a custodian of this character? Like this guy, I was never an Aquaman fan before his turn as Aquaman, yeah. and I'm watching yeah. him in in those initial appearances and even and his in his own movie, and I'm like, this guy's a badass. I'm like, this is great. It made me an Aquaman fan. And now I'm watching these appearances yeah. and I, it's undermining all of that good work he had done. And I just feel like, w- w- what are we doing here? At what, at what point, yeah. at what point as the person who plays this character, do you say, hey, because look, and I don't know, I don't know the, the contracts of this. You know, we know on the Marvel front, they sign them for all these movies, including cameos and stuff. I could be wrong. I don't know that that's necessarily the case here. I feel like he had to agree to do this. I don't think this was like, hey, your contract, you better be here. Assuming he had some choice, at, at what point do you say, hey, 
if you want me to pop up I'm for this, can it, you yeah. give me something of substance to do? Can you actually make me yeah. in keeping with how I've been depicted in these other movies? It just, it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And it's like, this is, <laughs> I said I was coming in hot. Do you, is yeah. the, you know, next we have Blue Beetle, but then it's, then it's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. This is how you want to leave people thinking of Arthur yeah. Curry before his sequel. Really? Yeah. I, and I would be very curious he, if people saw this and they're like, oh, I can't wait to see Aquaman too. I didn't. I think he just does stuff because it's fun. Like, I don't think he's worried about disrespecting a character. I really don't because in Justice League, I kind of like that version. Like, look, we both talked about this. Talking about him playing the Lobo now is dumb because he's been playing a version of him for the past 10 years. Lobo falling into a, a, a puddle drunk makes more sense. So now you're going to have him play who he should have played in the first place. I love that dude. Looks just like him. Looks just like him. He's got like the same eye shape, everything. If you wanted a perfect fan casting, that would be it. But you screwed that up because you wanted sex appeal for a movie thinking that that would change the outcome of the movie. You should have gave some, like we talked about it, give it to Anthony Starr. Give it to anybody else. You could have used him. Now you're going to basically force him into this other movie where he's going to be playing the same character. There's going to be very little difference. They both even like dolphins. Like you're like you're too close to to the well on this one. Um, I don't think he did it to be like, I'm going to further make fun of this character. I think he just did it. Cause that seems like something that he would want to do for fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude, I'll go and get paid scale to fall into a puddle um, on a, on a set. Yeah, sure. Sure. I can do that. Do I also think that he knows that probably no one's going to see Aquaman too? Yeah, I do. You know, now he's in every movie and look, I love the dude, but he plays the same character in every movie. But that's what people want, right? Um, which, by the way, can I sidestep real quick? Michelle Rodriguez was quote. Did you hear her quote? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it too many Marvel movies? Come on, man. With all these superhero movies, the same thing over and over again. You've been in the same movie, which has now turned into a suit. Dude, Dom has magic powers now. Like, you have the same, you, you've been in the same movie for the past 20 years. Maybe she's just hilarious. She's a comedic genius. And that's the part that we didn't see. I want to give that to her because I really like her. Like, I think she's great. She plays like a perfect gruff. Like if you need someone to come in, like if she wasn't, if they weren't going to go for someone younger, I'd want her to play. God, what's her name? Yara floor. The, um, uh, the Brazilian Amazon, mm. the the uh, like perfect because she's gruff, she's built. You know she can do it. She just played the barbarian chick in the Dungeons and Dragons flick, which I actually liked quite a bit. But like, you can't come out and be like all these movies are the same. You, you've been in the same movie, playing the same character for twenty years. Like that's not fair. Yeah that that was weird. But anyway, that was weird. So I want to yeah. talk about the multiverse sequence here. Because this, I feel, this should have been okay. the moment. Not, not, that, not that the entire movie hinges on it, right? Ultimately, you need to tell a compelling story. But this is your moment to get this peek into the other worlds of DC. And again, I had just mentioned it a second ago. I can't believe we're this deep into the episode. But 
to me, I know I've mentioned a lot of things I didn't like about this, but one of the greatest sins of this movie, maybe even the greatest sin of this movie, is the complete ignoring of Grant Gustin and John Wesley Shipp. I don't understand how you tell a multiverse movie a solo, in a solo Flash movie and you don't bring in... And look, I don't have as much attachment to John Wesley Shipp, though I really do uh, respect the work that he did and he came first, essentially. But Grant Gustin played this character for a decade. For a decade. they, As has been said many, many times here, they yeah. announced the Flash movie the week after the Flash TV show premiered and now it finally came out very shortly after the entire Flash series concluded. When the Arrowverse did their own crisis... And they represented the multiverse, in my opinion, far better than this movie did. They welcomed Ezra Miller onto that show. And you had the film and TV world collide in a great moment. It is astonishing to me that Gustin was completely ignored in this. And what's the argument? Oh, scheduling? They made this movie for years. I don't don't buy that. There's no way that they couldn't have sorted something out. Did that omission bother you at all? Scheduling doesn't even work. Yeah, um... Especially because you're literally messing with multiverses mentioned name by Bruce. So you know it's out there. He could have been running, like, give me one scene with both Barry's running and, like, like a, a shade of him running next to him. Because you're kind of converge again, another DC thing, right? The convergence. You're bringing all these planets together anyway. You're going to leave him at He's fan fate, man. Like, that's the dude that everyone's like redo this whole movie and shoot him with it. Now, do you think the movie would have did better? So, all right, they do all the reshoots, all of them. They throw in Grant Gustin, right? Do you think it would have made a difference? Wait, like have him replace Ezra Miller or just add him? Well, no, uh, no, no. Have him replace him completely. You do the Tig Notaro thing, you throw him. No, I don't think that would have been the right way in, in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not that's not what I'm advocating for. I just think that he should have been included in addition to the, the on-screen flash that he we had got. to. He had to. Dude, he should have. He should have. You have all these people dip, dude. You bought back Clooney, who probably made about seven hundred thousand dollars to get out of a car and call Ezra Miller Barry. You couldn't bring in gang, like I would feel I'd feel a little pissed. I would. I would like you played the character that people loved and you know, Ezra Miller showed up on the TV show version. Like you can't no plans to bring him in. Like that just seems crazy to me. When, when the, it's funny because I I've been kind of hard on the Arrowverse whenever I've mentioned it here and there, because I do think all of those shows fell apart at a certain point. However, when it was good, it was great. And I still am uh, astounded by what they were able to achieve with crisis on a television schedule and a television budget. And that, to me, represents what you want to do, where you're actually bringing in these people from other projects, physically bringing them in, not digitally yeah. rendering them. And though I didn't watch it, and spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched the end of the Titans show, did you watch that, by the way? I watched part of the first season, and I got so caught up with others. St- and again, not saying it was a bad show. I've just never seen it. Gotcha. So, but I do know that... Uh, I'm sorry. I do know that... Um, I know Gotham Knights got 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 the axe really quickly and for a very good reason because I watched the first episode of like this is terrible. Gotcha. This is really bad, but get I'm sorry. No, no. So in the series finale of Titans, Beast Boy has this multiverse moment 
where he's seeing these glimpses of all these other worlds. And I just watched it on YouTube, but essentially you're seeing these windows into other shows, but they're using clips from those shows. And then there are certain instances where he goes into those worlds and then he's having a face-to-face interaction. For example, the actress who played Stargirl on the now canceled show, she shows up. Mm -hmm. So like he gets sucked into her world and they have a conversation. That to me is the appropriate way to do this. I was so put off. And I honestly, you talk about choices. Uh, To me, this was such a baffling choice to render the multiverse. Oh, dude, it's a layup. Yeah. But to do this with the multiverse, I don't have an issue with the Christopher Reeve iteration being represented or the George Reeves iteration or Adam West, right? And look, I do a whole Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast. I love George Reeves. However, I think if you're going to do this, the way to do it is you have Barry running through or standing there and they're they're passing by him. You show clips. You show clips from those projects to represent those properties in that way. You don't digitally recreate someone. I feel like, and look, this is a larger ethical conversation. You see this a lot in in music, right? Where you have a deceased artist performing on stage. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. I think it's disrespectful. Even if the family is signing off on it, which allegedly the, the Reeve family did, Reeves, has no estate that we know of. So I don't know that they necessarily had to get any permission. But even if they signed off on this, I just, I always wonder, would he have wanted this? Would he he have wanted this? And on top of all of that, it looked terrible. It it looked looked awful. So I I was so put off by that. And it's just like, this is a big budget movie. $200 million to make this movie. You could have done anything. And the director has said, no superhero was off the table. So he had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. And this is what yeah. he chose to do. I, I, I'm baffled by it. Um, I actually thought the reverse. When I saw the convergence, I was like, oh, maybe this will be the part that Anthony likes. Like I did, right? Because it's Reeve and it's Supergirl floats in. Like it was a really cool, like, look, it did look bad. And I'm sorry, I'm listening to the director when he was like, it's supposed to look like that that way. That part wasn't. The sand part, maybe, like, I'll give you that because it's different, but the convergence part at the end shouldn't have looked like that. It shouldn't have. Like, it was it was, it was, was really weird. And again, if you have all of these other versions, give me a Valzad then, right? Like, give me something else. Like, give me other Superman. Give me Steel. Give me Shaq. You would give me Shaq? I would have been a happy dude, right? No. Because now you're playing with other stuff like why does it have to be just that one if you're going to show all of the versions give me somewhere a little bit different dude give me captain carrot right you know what i'm saying like give me something that's a little different instead just like the michael keaton thing you showed a whole bunch of people that people love but had no big part in it just so people oh man you know christopher reeve shows up at the end but like, where's um homeboy from Superman Returns? Well, okay, right? he played a dead. No, no, no. But that, like, that's that's it exactly. I don't understand why you would digitally puppeteer a deceased actor instead of use. And Brandon Routh yeah. is the perfect example of this because he played yeah. Superman on the big screen and the small screen, and he was ostensibly playing the Christopher Reeve iteration of the character. So if you want to have yeah. the Dick yeah. Donner version of Superman. Yeah. If that's the version of Superman you want to represent in the multiverse, and you should represent that character, you got a guy who's like ready, willing, and able. And when he came back for Crisis on TV, people ate that up. Yeah, people were yeah. clamoring for a Kingdom and, Come, you know, uh, HBO Max show. Yeah, the 
the one that I did like back in Man of Steel, I don't know if this was confirmed or not. Cause like I said, I don't have my ear to the ground like you do. When, when, when Henry Cable's looking at the world engine yeah. and the lights hitting them, they did put Christopher Reeve's face there. Yeah. Like they paused it. That is dude's face, but it wasn't blatant enough to be like, that looks like crap. It was like, oh man, like, like what a cool nod. It was in and out like that. That was it just to be like, hey man, we remember where we came from. Like, I like that, but like, yeah, the weird zooming in of different worlds and now they're looking at you and then, you know, it, the time travel thing, they lean on that a lot, right? Like in the, look, in the Whedon one, it didn't necessarily happen like that, but in the Snyderverse, they lost and he's got to run to give them a second chance. And now you have all this stuff going on. Like, well, I'm just going to keep rewinding time. At first I was like, oh, okay. Like I could see why he would do that. But you did it a lot. Like you went back to the same well over and over again to try and fix little problems. And then he even does it at the end. He moves a can so he doesn't try and save his mom because that's like a cannon point and stuff like that. Like I get it. But you did it a lot where it's just like, oh, now look what happens. Um, Which I don't think you had to do it that many times. Like I think you showing him running through the the sand instead of – um, uh, and again, I – Usually I flash on my poll list. I did when Francis Monopole was doing it because I thought that run was really good. Um, but was the sand in lieu? Because again, my background knowledge of Flash is 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 relatively small. Um, was that in 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 lieu of the treadmill? I I guess. You is mean it kind like of when like they're the in that when time they're... kind of thing? I guess so. Like yeah. you mean when they're in that like chrono bubble or whatever it is they call it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah. I guess, I guess. But because the sand thing, because, you know, sands of time, I get it. And it would have been really weird to, like, have a treadmill pop up out of nowhere. Like, I get that part, too. Um, but I just think that that could have been done differently. A- again, if you're going to make them all out of sand, do the digital thing where you make them all out of We, we would have known who they were. But to say it's supposed to look like that, that seems like a cop-out. Uh, absolutely. So it's funny. At the beginning of this, you see a black and white Jay Garrick. And everybody, myself included, yes. everyone was like, oh, Teddy Sears from The Flash. Of course, Teddy Sears yeah. played, posed as Zoom, but I mean, posed as Jay Garrick, but was ultimately revealed to be Zoom. Spoiler alert, it's been a decade. Yeah. But uh, as has been confirmed since, that was not Teddy Sears. He's, he did an interview. He's like, I think I would remember. <laughs> like, So yeah. I, I don't know what that deal was. I, I actually, I genuinely am curious. And as I, as I say this, it is a legitimate question. I know it's going to sound super sarcastic and it's a little sarcastic, but I, I'm actually, I wonder, do you think Andy Muschietti yeah. knows what the CW is or has ever seen a CW Arrowverse show? Um, Man, I, that's a really good question. I think he might've got notes about one. Yeah. But I don't think that he did a deep dive into what it was, no. I feel like yeah. at some point someone was like, oh, would you want someone from TV? And he was like, no. And I, I honestly, I, I could be 100% wrong, but... I will equate it to to my job, right? When you get a new principal, we've had three of them. I love the current one. She's awesome. Even if things work and you're the new boss, you don't want anything to work because now you want your stamp on it, right? So the people he pulled for those multiverse scenes are all dead, right? Or they're not the right person. So he's like, well, why don't you use Grant Gustin? Why don't you use this person? No, no, I don't want to do any of that. But it would have worked. So it's kind of like a new principal coming and be like, yeah, well, this thing we do every year works. Yeah, but I don't want to do that because, you know, because I'm in charge now. Yeah, but why reinvent the wheel? Like it works. 
you could change whatever you would like change the stuff that doesn't work. So it just seemed like even if he did have knowledge of the Arrowverse, he was still like, I'm not doing that because then people are going to be focused on that and why they like it as opposed to the movie that I just directed. Like, that's what I think it is. Well, it's a pride thing. It's a total ego trip. I get what you're saying. And that may, that may very well account for it. People might be like, I can't believe you haven't talked about Nick Cage yet. So this was another in the giant spider fighting the giant uh, spider. Awesome. Look, that just made me laugh. That was a gr- that was a great moment. Yeah. At the same time, and I was very curious about this, and this was something Zach and I were talking about going back and forth. About, like, what exactly? What? How did they do that? Because when this was spoiled weeks before the movie came out, uh, you know, right. allegedly there were leaks, and then Andy Muschietti did an interview confirming it. I guess it was out, and they had to get ahead of it or whatever. I don't know. But he gave an interview, and he talked about working with Nick Cage. So I'm assuming, yeah, Nick Cage was there. Then you watch it, and again, it's this typical CGI video game look. And then I'm like, what, what, what was he actually there? Just yesterday, the day before, another interview came out where, so we now have confirmation. Nick Cage was there in the suit. But they still wanted to have this look, and they wanted to de-age him because they yet. wanted him to look the way he would have looked had the movie been made in the late '90s. Which I'm saying to myself, yeah. why? Well, couldn't you? Why? Like, could if you he's just older, yeah, that's... just show him now in the suit instead? It's like he didn't even need to friggin' be there because he looks and as so, fake as everybody else. And that was fan service on a very small level. You ask a lot of people, they didn't even know about the Kevin Smith thing. Like, they don't even know that Nick Cage, like, maybe they thought it was a joke because you've seen the picture come up. Yeah. And there, there's a good chance a bunch of people are like, dude, Nick Cage would never play Superman. A lot of people don't even know about that project. So that was for the those of us that saw Evening with Kevin Smith or knew about it or whatever, or saw or saw the digital read-through or whatever it was. And he's even fighting a Thanagarian snare beast, right? Because they didn't want to call it a giant spider. I just liked that because I was like, Hey, and I leaned over to Sarah, but again, Sarah's not a fan. She's a movie fan. When I looked over and said, oh, this is from this. She's like, okay, that's awesome. I'm glad you like it. So like, who are you trying to please there? The the pocket of people, and it is a pocket. Like, let's be honest, statistically, a pocket of people know that Nick Cage literally did a suit test and everything to play Superman. Other than that, unless you are A, a Kevin Smith fan, or B, like us, Who's got, well, you especially, like, you know, a bunch of people have their ear to the ground based on, like, Superman stuff or movie stuff. Because, honestly, if I never saw, if I never saw An Evening with Kevin Smith, I'm a big fan. If I never saw that, I would never know that project existed, ever. And someone would have brought it up. I was like, dude, are you serious? Like, I would have never known that project existed. That's like writing a, a, a Ghostbuster movie and having a nod to the Ghost Smashers, the original script. That was like way different and way more dark. People are going to go, what the, what is this? Like, why is this even in here? That's what I felt like that it was. Come on, dude, to have him fighting the actual spider. That was the ongoing joke. Yeah. No. So it's funny because I, I liked the idea of it, but at the same time, as we're talking about this, do I think that should have come before Grant Gustin or, or some other more relevant, more appropriate cameos? No, No. but I, I appreciated the nod but I do recognize, yeah, this is insanely niche, right? I mean, I, I'm yeah. studying this stuff, so like I love it, and I was happy to see it. But yes, the, for the average audience member, like when, when he came up, my dad was like, oh, Nick Cage. But I don't think he had any conception of the movie that, <laughs> the movie that it, yeah, it was going to be. But again, uh, the larger problem I have was just the way it was represented. If you're going to do this, like just show the guy. But they just were committed to this video game look for all of it. 
And, uh, yeah. and I, you know, Helen Slater's alive. You know, they could have done something with her. They could have done Brandon Routh. They could have, yeah. they could have, they had Nick Cage there. Yeah. It, it, uh, what, what should have been a really, really cool moment was so disappointing. And I look at what Titans did and I look at what the Arrowverse did. And to yeah. me, I would take those over this any, any day. And I don't, and this is kind of a segue into talking about the three different endings that, uh, that were shot over the years, but not, not to, not to go off on too much of a tangent about Henry Cavill and all that, but it's like, we've got CGI Reeves and Reeve and Cage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was no place for Henry Cavill in this movie yet. You talk about him for most of it. It's like, come on, man, come on. He was pictured once in the sand thing like this. Like that was it. That was that moment. Um, let me ask you a side question about the Nick Cage thing. Yeah. If a, if a theater is a hundred percent packed, right? Everyone goes to see the movie opening day around the world. How many people went, what the, what the hell is Nick Cage doing there versus how many people is like, Oh my God, from the Nick Cage thing. What, what are you saying? 1% of every movie theater, one, two people are like, Hey, I know about that story. Everyone else had to be like, what the hell is Nick Cage doing in this movie? Well, that's the thing, because if you're not, I, I feel like if you're not a comic fan, you would almost certainly not know about this again, un- unless you're just a huge Kevin no Smith. Fan. <laughs> like, yeah, but, so at end, and here's the, the kicker, even within the comics community, there are plenty yeah. of people who don't have any idea about this. So that's, that's actually true. That's actually true because I'm pretty sure I was in Moose and I love Wednesdays, like a bunch of like the regulars come in like, uh, and they're great guys, but I'm pretty sure someone brought it up about the project. Yeah. Cause we were talking about Mike Zapp and we were talking about the Kevin Smith stuff. I'm pretty sure that someone was like, dude, Nick Cage was supposed to be Superman. I was like, you're in a comic store and you have a pull list. So it's like I said, unless you were this little pocket that you were getting the nod to, even that the studio head should have been like, dude, we're not going to do that. Like put somebody else in there. Like no, like, like no one's going to know that reference. And it wasn't even for that long, but it just seemed like wasted film outside of me going, holy crap, it's the Nick Cage and he's fighting a giant spider. But that was the throwaway joke in Evening Whiff. So like, again, he wants him to fight a giant spider in the third act. Like that was like the thr- like that was like the entire thing about about that director. I forgot his name, the old hairdresser who then became a director. Yeah, John Peters, um, the producer. Yeah. Where it's like, but if you did not see that, you're going, oh, Nick Cage is in a Superman outfit, kind of, because he's so CGI that is it supposed to be Nick? Actually, dude, you want to know what's weird? Nick Cage is now in Dead by Daylight as Nick Cage. He's not a monster. He's walking around like a a, a, a leisure suit. That looked better. Yeah. It did. That looked better. Look, this movie CGI'd George Reeves and Christopher Reeve back to life, and it CGI'd yeah. all the life out of Nick Cage and Helen Slater. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow, that's a really good point. So what a way wow. to just miss the mark <laughs> entirely. <laughs> yeah, like shoot. Shoot Brandon Ralph from the back with the gray, you know, on the sides or something. Like, you know, have Christopher Reeves' voice over coming out of one of them. But, like, you didn't have to do – again, it's just the Michael Keaton thing, dude. You're just fan servicing, hoping that people be like, oh, they really did something for the fans here. They did, but it didn't cover up for the fact that there was so many, you know, big holes in the movie that didn't make it really that great. Would I see it again? Absolutely, because I want to see more of Sasha Cali and I want to see more of 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 like the 80s computers for like Bruce Wayne and stuff like that. Like I thought that was good, but there's large chunks of that movie because of the confused boner that I would just skip right over. 
I'll just skip over it. Like that didn't do it for me. No, I hear you. And I, again, I don't, I really, hopefully the audience is was still with us here. I, I don't, I really don't want to frame this as how could you like that multiverse sequence, but for people, no, but, no, but, at, but at the like same time, like whatever you want, but at the same time, I don't know for, how do I put this? I don't even consider those cameos. It was something that like, there was, um, there was a fan made Superman lives CGI trailer or something uh, that mm-hmm. came out not too long ago. And no, did it look as sophisticated as what we saw in the movie? No, but right. it wasn't that far off. I mean, and I, I just look yeah. at, I just look at what we got, and it's like, this could have, like, this could have been fan made. Like it just, I, I don't know. But in any event, I've, I've right. I was not a fan of that. Yeah, uh, there have now been articles. The the industry trades, I think, it was Hollywood Reporter in particular, broke down. I sent you the link. Sent it, broke down the three different versions of the ending. So in case anyone's like, how yes. did we end up here? What were the other plans? Back when uh, Walter Hamada was running DC Films and Toby Emmerich was still one of the higher ups at Warner Brothers, the idea was that this movie was going to be the reset and the pivot away from the the Snyder movies. So at the end right, of the, the movie, the flashpoint breaking point. Yeah, exactly. So Barry resets the timeline, and now we're left with our new players moving forward. And there were set photos of the actors on the courthouse steps. So on the courthouse steps. It was going to be Barry and Iris, but then Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne and Sasha Kaye as Supergirl. And those, they were going to be part of the Justice League moving forward. That was the original plan. Then Hamada and Emmerich were out. And before James Gunn took over and Peter Safran, there was this interim period and Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi, they, then they're still the heads of Warner Brothers, but they were overseeing the DC stuff too. And this was the period of time when Henry Cavill made the Black Adam cameo and they were going to move forward with a new Superman movie with him. So he was back in the mix. And so they filmed a new ending where it was uh, Keaton and Kaye and Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot. Oh, that's awesome. Popping up there. Then Gunn and Safran took over and that was jettisoned. And we ended up with this where there's no Sasha Kaya, there's no Michael Keaton. Barry gets, Barry's on the phone with Bruce and you know we can tell the voice sounds different. And of course he yep. gets out and it's George Clooney and that's the note we end on. So those were the three different versions of this ending. I want the justice. I want the, when, when Justice League came out, Batman was supposed to be older. It said he was, uh, he was operating Gotham for 20 years, right? And presumably all these other people just showed up or more recently, right? Like they made sure to make that point. Let me tell you something. I would watch the F out of a Justice League of America, like a side one with Sasha Kelly, um, Keaton, whatever flash they're going to use. Maybe throw in like, um, um, like a Huntress because she's, you know, Bruce and Selena's kid. Like I would watch that. Because there's so many different dynamics there. It's not just like the young people. It's not just the old people. It's not the actors that have done it. You're throwing it in the mix. If they would have all appeared on the stairs, I'm like, that's a movie I want to go see. Instead, like you got George Clooney, who's not going to reprise the role. Again, that was just thrown in to do what happened to me. I was like, Clooney, like that's what I did because I was like, oh, that was really cool how they brought him in there. But I would forego that for a cool Justice League movie. Because even Barry says that. He says it when they're still in the Batcave right before they go. He's like, so we're like the new Justice League or something like that. I'm like, I would watch that movie. I would watch that movie. I think that'd be great. You know, it's funny. As much as that original ending where 
Cavill's out and it's just Kaye and Keaton. That's that's not my yeah. that's not my number one choice. But at least in the context of this movie, it would have made sense because there is yeah. at least Keaton gets some closure in this yeah. as he's dying and he's like, I tried to save you. He's like, you did, right? Because he brought back, you know, he brought right. Keaton back to life, right? He was off in the cave and he, you know, had given I up do, being I like Batman. That, yeah. And again, all the heartfelt stuff was really good. So that was fine. But for for Carazorel, there's nothing. There's like no there's no that, closure. There's no that, resolution. There's nothing. That bothered me the most because again, she carried the whole marketing on her back, right? She didn't have to. She knew her place in him. Say she's got nothing else over this, right? She could have been like, well, I'm not going to do anything for this movie then. Like, yeah, people are going to go see it because it's got a flash label on it and Keaton's in it. But instead she was like, you know, I'm this, I'm that. Like she really had some pride in it with no, like what happened? She got killed a couple times and they left her. Like she didn't have the moment, you know, that Keaton had. Like he got the moment because he's Michael Keaton. Like, and she doesn't get anything. Like you just kind of leave her in the dirt multiple times. Uh, it just seemed like a weird way, you know, to play her when I think a bunch of people who I talk to or just like the reactions I've seen on my friends and social media, they want to see more of her. And I got to tell you, so do I, she was great. Yeah. Honestly, I, I would be, I would be happy if she continued to play Supergirl, whether in woman of tomorrow or something else. I, I, I really, I think she was the high point for me. Uh, I don't want to forget this. We do have a, a patron question from Brian Dempsey. He says, I've read a few articles now of people praising Ezra Miller's take on Barry. I'm sorry. So far, the portrayal I've seen is nothing like Barry from the comics, any version of Barry. Uh, do you find Ezra Miller's take to be engaging and a reasonable interpretation of the classic DC character, public antics aside, but just in terms of the no. performance? No, no way. Even, even, even his humor is different. Like Barry's humor is more intentional, right? Where, Ezra Miller is playing kind of like the frumpy, like, I don't know, like, like I've been with this group for 10 years. I still don't know what's going on. And I'm going to complain that they have to call me to do a job. Like, I don't like, I never, even before all this, I didn't like that choice anyway. And again, not when I heard the casting, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Cause I do that with everybody, but no, I do not like him. And again, I don't like half of the cast for who they played. And everyone knows that I don't like, I never liked the idea of Jason Momoa as Aquaman. I don't like Ezra Miller as the Flash. And I've said it before because I have power lifter friends. I got girls who are CrossFit experts and stuff like that. They're like, why is she Wonder Woman? Besides the fact that she's got a pretty face. Because my Wonder Woman looks like the one from Super Pets. She is huge. She's a foot taller than Clark. Like, that's what she should look like. Instead, you sold it on, on her, which is like, look, she did a good job. But she should look like an Amazon. Because if you make, I remember when DC made Amanda Waller skinny in Rebirth. Oh, yeah. She was like, and I was like, why, why are you doing that? Like what? And again, it was kind of the same thing with Lobo, right? Let's streamline and make a more sex appeal. But like, why do you have to do that? Right? Like, why do you have to just let, let the character look how the character is supposed to do and act how the character is supposed to act. You can change whatever. People change stuff like that all the time. They change races. They change genders. Like, you know, Alan Scott now is gay. He wasn't for like, you know, the amount of years that he's in. But there's been really cool, you know, gay characters that they didn't put their money on. Right. Like Bunker was in the old Titans. Bunker, um, he dressed in purple and he can kind of like construct walls and stuff like, like these virtual um well, not virtual, like these images of walls. He was out. North Star, 
from Marvel. You got all these people, and instead of recreating or creating a really cool, you know, um, um, trans character and backing them or a gay character and backing them, you went, all right, well, let's just go to characters that people love and change them for what books? Because that just seems like pandering. Like that doesn't even seem like you're creating something new. You're just slapping another label on something else to hope that it 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 creates revenue. I don't know, dude. I got a whole problem with, you know, like I read a lot of milestone stuff, like icon hardware. That stuff is awesome. That stuff is awesome. Um, leave things the way that that they're supposed to be or create something new because you know the wave is coming. I got no problem with that, man. I think that's awesome. Um, I don't know. I don't I, know. So I don't want to get I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because they're they're there are a few different components to that argument. I think the the counter argument to what you just presented typically is that it is so hard to launch a new character these days in particular yeah. that when you can right. capitalize on an existing character or identity. So even if it's not changing Alan Scott, for example, but just making – even if you're creating a new Green Lantern, but it's still a Green – that sort right. of thing. Uh, but anyway, I, I, but I do, I do get what you're saying. Uh, to answer Brian's question, I, I liked – and, and not to, you know, people know I enjoy the Snyder movies, but uh, I, I liked I liked how Barry was utilized in in the Snyder cut of Justice League. But I don't at the same time this never never felt like Barry to me in any of the movies. Yep. Uh, but part oh, of that never. is I'm never yep. I'm not the biggest Barry Allen fan generally, and I also I'm don't Wally West guy anyway. Yeah, I'm a big Wally West guy, and I also don't know if I had to really describe like what is Barry Allen's personality. I don't, I don't really know that I, there's much that I can really say. So. Yeah exactly yeah you know so but at the same time maybe that gives them room for interpretation i don't know this is never again even liking the snyder stuff this was not my my favorite interpretation of a character now at the same time this right. is kind of the other the other piece here uh, one of our audience members asked on facebook is this the death rattle of the snyder verse and it's interesting here because there are a couple of instances where the snyder verse the snyder cut of justice league is made canon essentially when Iris yep. has that convert, that little exchange with Barry about like, I feel like I mm. saw you a few years ago, a reference to the Snyder cut. That's, that's that, yeah. And yeah. when Bruce says like, hey, what you're proposing is different than going back a couple of seconds, right? That's yeah. a reference to the climax of, of the Snyder cut of Justice League. Yeah. However, and this is what, you know, it cuts both ways, I guess, because on the one hand, yes, they are acknowledging moments from the Snyder cut, seemingly making it canon. However, tonally, to me, this feels like a continuation of Justice League. Straight, and I know you like this moment, but Wonder Woman with the lasso around Bruce and Bruce spilling his guts about this and that. No, 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 no. That I did actually. I was oh. just about to bring that up. I like them both there. Oh, okay. But you went back to the well for that joke again. Yeah. Again, really? Again, you needed to do that, and it's just like, why? Like, why for that yuck yuck moment? You didn't need that. Actually, I like the flirtation a little bit more because in comics they have gone back and forth like that before. Leave it like that. Leave that wide. He doesn't realize the lasso's around his arm. The world's greatest detective has no idea. Like, it just seemed like, why are you going to tell that joke again? That was like, you know, the screaming jokes, uh, uh, the screaming goats in Love and Thunder. Like, why would you do that again? So people are like, oh, I remember that moment. It didn't happen that long ago for people to forget. And I don't know. Yeah. I didn't like that at all. I like that they all showed up for the moment, but I didn't like the lasso thing at all. I think that's stupid when they do it. Gotcha. All right. Now I hear you. So, so that's the thing as much. I feel like it, it pays lip service to the Snyder cut, but I think really this is of a piece with justice league tonally, which I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan of, but it's funny. Look, different perspectives. One of the other guests who's been on the show, Mike San Gregorio, 
Uh, I'm on a group yeah. chat with him and another another guest, Ralph Puma, and we were talking about the movie. And Mike, I love hasn't, Ralph. Mike hasn't seen it yet, but I, Ralph, I was yeah. I was uh, I, you know I meant this sincerely, but I was also egging him on a little bit, if I'm not lying. Um, and I said, I was like, I think. <laughs> I said, I think you'll like this. I said, if you thought the Snyder stuff was too grim and serious, you'll love this. It takes almost nothing yeah. seriously. It's more like right. Justice League. And he responded, and I think he was being sincere. He goes, I love Justice League. He'll yeah. never be on the show again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but so like, that's the thing. I recognize there are different takes here. It's just not one that I like. But that's to me what this felt like. This just felt like more Justice League. Yeah. Now, yep. um, yeah, go, go ahead. But- and again, we always kind of talk about this stuff. Would I tell people not to go see it? No, go see it. Even if you listen to this and you're like, I still want to go see it. I love the movie. So go, dude, love the movie. Make, dude, get a tattoo of it on your uh, on your arm. I don't care. Like whatever you want to like. Um, but I would never tell people not to go see a flip. Like I hate podcasts that do that. Where it's like, you know, and they hit like a wacky button of a person going, this is terrible, whatever. And it's like the adult all hipster thing. Just like, go see it, man. Like, go try it. It didn't seem like as many people saw it as they thought they were going to, which to me is weird, right? Because you have Keaton and you would have figured that would have bought in people our age anyway. But it just seems like people still aren't back on the, on the wagon yet. Here's the thing. I mean, and I think they're, first of all, I do actually want to say to the audience, whether you are our regular listeners or maybe you're new and you were just looking to hear some flash talk, there is no, I don't think there's any podcast in the world that isn't doing an episode on the Flash movie. So yeah, I thank you yeah. for uh, spending the time with us. Yeah. And if you are new, I hope you'll come back. Uh, and normally I'm not this fired up, but this one just kind of kind of grinding my gears. But uh, I forget this the point that I was going for to make. new people. <laughs> so for new people, that is about fired up as Anthony is going to get. Like if you want to see him really <laughs> mad, you just saw it. That's but it. What I was going to say much was. The extent of it. I, I agree with you. I, I still would encourage you should see it for yourself. And I also want to totally. say I never I never relish uh, anyone's misfortune. So the fact that this no, movie no, under, not at all. the fact that this movie underperformed, I don't delight in it. At the same time, I also don't have sympathy for the studio. And wh what I also want to say is just kind of going back to the like my mindset going into this movie. I what I one thing I do recognize and I acknowledge and I admit is that. Had I had in some artificial scenario, if I had been able to watch this movie in an absolute vacuum, if there had been no marketing or I had not seen any marketing, if right. we didn't have any of the any of the Snyderverse back and forth, because that was a, a vision and a version of the characters I liked that was cast aside. If we didn't yeah. have the Ezra Miller of it all, if I didn't have Warner Brothers and early viewers kind of like shoving it down my throat that this is the best movie I'm ever going to see... If yeah. in some kind of artificial scenario, I could go in and watch this absolutely cold, I would still have many of the same problems, but I probably yeah. would have enjoyed it more. But when you take those problems and you exacerbate them by everything else swirling around that we've been talking about, yeah. that's where I really hit a wall with this. But like I said, for the people who loved it, love it. That's great. Who knows? Maybe I'll rewatch it and feel differently. I doubt it. But 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 maybe and if you liked yeah. it that's great man really no because you know what it's not it's not bad plot points that were my biggest issue it's the cgi was my biggest issue like i wouldn't watch it again just because a you know babies in microwaves right and 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 b at one point one of the babies is floating by and it looks like their face distorts like it looked like something out of a horror movie and i'm like i just don't want to see that 
You know what I'm saying? Like I would I would skip over the first part, and I love Bad Fleck chasing or whoever that was because it didn't sound like him. So they definitely they definitely shot that and expected to overdub Bad Fleck's voice and didn't. Because I turned to Sarah, I'm like, who the hell is that? I mean, it I think look they, like him. That, I think they did. It sounded enough. I'd have to listen to it again. It might just be. You know, oh, it's been dude, a few I didn't years. think it sounded like him at all. I mean, it's yeah. been a few years since he's done it. I feel like his voice might have just sounded a little bit different. I I don't know, or they didn't modulate know. it the way they normally do. We'll, we'll have to go back, but but yeah, definitely as far as the physical piece of it, yeah, that was I would say 99. percent That was a stunt double. Yeah, yeah. So. We're we uh, we're gonna be at two hours soon, so I think we should probably two hour mark. Yeah, we should probably wrap this up. But I mean, as far as what the future holds for these movies, I think before the box office results, I probably would have said I think this is the track that we're on in terms of tone and the fact that yeah. this director is taking on Batman: Brave and the Bold. In light of the underperformance, I do wonder. I think a lot more is up in the air right now. I think in terms of where they ended this with Barry, presumably. In an alternate timeline, I think they could kind of do anything at this point. My hope from the beginning has been a hard, clean, 100% reboot. I still think that's right. the best the best thing that they can do. The fact that this movie didn't do well, I, I think, gives them a sense of what level of interest there is in Ezra Miller as Flash. As much as the Muschettis have said, oh, we can never do a sequel without Ezra Miller. Yeah, yeah you can. But at the same time, it doesn't have to be a sequel. It shouldn't be a sequel. Bring in a new Flash. Do something new. Do something different. I I think we have seen enough instances now of these DC movies that have, again, tried to do something different than the Steiner movie, tried to do their own thing, whatever the case may be. And it's it's with very middling success. So I think we need a clean break. I hope we get that. I, I really, honestly, right now, as of this recording, I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't think they can do another one. I think this was the one that was intentional to do it. I think regardless of how this one performs, they're just going to be like, well, look, it's a good jumping off start point for anything. It's not like, you know, they showed a terrible post credit sequence that it's just like now because of what we did, we can just say F the whole thing and go in any direction because now we can skip to any one of those universes that we want. And we don't have to do it with anybody or we could do it with people. So I don't think that they're going to do another sweep up. Because remember, they still got two more movies that weren't previously on the slate coming out. They got Blue Beetle, which looks all right. Um, And they have Aquaman 2, which at this point, I'm just like, it's embarrassing that it's even still coming out. Like HBO Max it or Max or whatever it's called now. But do not put that movie out. Like you're going to take a giant loss. You put. I mean, you probably already took it. Um, but it's just going to be more embarrassment, like because I'm not I don't know anybody. Wants, plus, how many people they had to cut out of that movie or how many people are still in it that have problems? They so for Aquaman, not to get too much on it or get off on too much of a tangent. But originally, the word is Keaton filmed a cameo because at that point, Keaton was going to be the Batman of the DC films moving forward. Then right. after they decided not to move forward with Keaton, Affleck filmed a cameo. And there's a photo. Jason Momoa okay. posted a photo of him and Affleck after he did it. Now that's been cut. Yeah. So I actually don't know as far, as far as the cameos go, but yeah. And it's also funny too. Look at all the sequels we've gotten. Fury of the Gods, Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> I have no faith in an Aquaman sequel. I mean, I hate to say it, but I no. feel like I feel like Max would be the best bet. I am actually genuinely excited for Blue Beetle. I think it looks fun. It looks cool. I love Jolo, uh, Jolo uh, Matarania from yeah. Cobra Kai. I feel yep. like if the Cobra Kai fans turn up for this, 
we, like we, <laughs> maybe it'll do okay. And yeah, I don't think it's that expensive do, of a movie. But it it doesn't take itself seriously. I'm no. not saying I don't want to go see it because it doesn't look fun. I was just never a big Blue Beetle fan anyway. Like, if you put him with Booster Gold, I'm in. Like, I like that dynamic. I like both of them. But like a standalone one, yeah, I mean, I'll go see it just because, you know, it's a comic book movie and I see them all anyway. Um, but I'm not, like, itching for it. Like, it's not one of the ones that rank very highly on my on my list. Like, and again, like, you know, I was talking to Sean over at Fat Moose, like, do a planetary movie. They're kind of doing outside of the realm of uh, the normal stuff because they're doing an authority flick, which I think is a bold move. Um, the Amanda Waller show. Um, but I would love to see a planetary flick. I don't know if you've ever read read planetary. Dude, it is one of the best reads ever. It is so unbelievably good um, that I would have liked to see that because it's just as random as authority uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Like, I hope, because again, I never wish ill on anybody. Um, uh, Guardians of Galaxy 3 was perfect. It was amazing. I cried. I laughed. Dude, it was a perfect way to go out. Um, I I don't think he's going to put a bunch of stuff together. That's going to sink. Like, I don't like, I know I said that before, but again, like, you know, I'm mature enough to change my mind. Like, I don't think he's trying to sabotage anything. I think he's trying to clean up a giant mess and he's doing it the best way possible while keeping, you know, um, the motivation going for stuff that's still coming out, you know, his stuff that's coming out. I don't know. I'd hope they have a big thing at New York though, because they've been nowhere to be found the past two uh, actually Marvel and DC have, I mean, besides some authors and stuff, they haven't showed anything. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I was talking about Betty, uh, Mike who works over at DC and I was just writing of the comics, you know, V Ram, like, like these guys come right. And the art is amazing. I actually like a lot of more stuff that's coming out of DC camp and, and, um, and blood moon and like the Marvel stuff's Okay. But right now it's not doing it for me. Like a lot of the new DC stuff, like night terrors looks really good. Um, and he's like, dude, you think all that stuff is good? Just wait. Now, if I heard it from anybody else, it would sound like hype, but I was talking to Mike on the side and he was like, dude, just wait. He's like, if you like that, you're really going to like what's coming next. And I value dude's opinion. I know he works there, but I really value dude's opinion. So I'm, I'm excited. So I do, I hope the movies do well. I hope James Gunn turns it all around because I would like to see, um, you know, really cool things going forward. No, fair enough. I, I think that's very generous. And I, I don't see, here's the thing. I agree. I, I don't think James Gunn is, is ill intentioned, honestly, or that he's trying to sabotage anything. But I do think that yeah. in most instances where there was an opportunity to make a better choice, I feel like he went in a different direction. I think announcing, announcing as much of the slate as he did before these movies came out, I think, I think it did undermine these movies because they, for a lot of people, yeah. I think they felt like they didn't matter. Um, again, yeah. as I've been saying, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I think, so it's like they made the announcement of what they were going to do, but it wasn't the announcement that I think it should have been, which was a hard reboot. Right. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I will continue to keep an open mind, but I do hope that Gunn and the rest of the, of the power structure over there, I do New think group, they, yeah. I think they take a good hard look at, this movie and its performance and kind of what, you know, what people are actually looking for here. You, you are yeah. off the screen, my friend. You, I'm only seeing half your I? face. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Cause I'm looking at the little one in the bottom. Cause that one's actually moving at the same time. If I look up at the other one, it gives me a headache. <laughs> oh, because sorry. It's like a second off. <laughs> That's right here. Uh, but, it, but in any event, I, uh, 
I, you know, I will, I'll keep an open mind, but I, I don't, I don't have a ton of faith after this, but in any event, I really do. I, I'll say this. Even before I saw the movie, I was, I was far more looking forward to this discussion. And I, will, I, know. <laughs> I will tell I know. you, I had a much better time talking about this movie than I did seeing the movie, but the movie provided the venue, the, the reason, the fodder for this discussion. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm grateful for it. And I feel a lot better. I got I think just about everything out of my system that I needed to. I thank you for listening to me uh, vent. I thank the audience uh, for coming along with us. I hope people will follow you on Instagram at real life Lobo. Justin does this just, I mean, incredible cosplay. You you might've seen him at conventions if if you've gone, especially to New York comic con or some of the other area shows. Uh, But just in terms of the hair, the makeup, the costume and the physicality. I mean, how, how this guy has built himself uh, and and sculpted and molded himself into this character. It's really amazing. So definitely check out the Instagram, check out the photos. And if you see Justin as Lobo at a convention, go up and say hello. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, just a real quick plug. I, I just came back from Philly. I did a, a paid Lobo gig um, with a friend of mine, James. He wrote, a, he wrote an encyclopedia called the Fragpendium, and it's Lobo's entire history. So James is in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the most Lobo merchandise and memorabilia. He's also a really nice dude. So he had me going over there. Um, we passed out cards. Dude, the book is amazing. And I was talking to him. I was like, it's a real niche. Like, you know, it's great. But again, a Lobo fan is going to love it. Um, but he, dude, he covers everything everything it is so good and that's um who had me go out there so the book is called the fragpendium the guy james asriel who wrote it is a great dude just go over to his instagram and just check it out because it's a labor of love this thing is like almost 300 i think it's like 300 pages like everything is in it he kick-started it man and and he's a really nice dude and like doug said something about it keith geffen said something about it so it's gotten you know a lot of legs I told him, I said, if it was like Lobo and the Super Friends, it would have did, like, you know, because that's what people, I said, but for what it is, dude, it's perfect. Like, no one is, is ever going to be able to pull this off. So, yeah, if you see me at conventions, come up um, and say hi. I don't look anything like I do on the screen. I'm way prettier as Lobo because I get to cover up a lot of my flaws. But, yes, that's me. So, definitely stop up and say hi. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Justin. Thank you, audience. We'll be back in one week with a discussion of the Fleischer Superman cartoons. It's a lot of fun. I already recorded it. So that'll be coming up next week. I hope you will tune in. If you've missed any of our recent episodes, go back, check them out. Uh, But thank you, as always, for the support. And of course, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.